0: Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read in just a moment verses 1 through 18. I'm going to uh, preface that reading with a couple of verses uh, from Ephesians that we uh, looked at last week. But you go ahead in your Bibles. uh, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, We'll begin in verse uh, 1 of chapter 2 in just a moment. I ask the question last week and we began to explore uh, this idea. and How do I as a pastor uh, lead, empower, motivate God's people to do God's work? Uh, both throughout the history of the church and uh, even in the contemporary church today Uh, there have been churches that have uh, done what seem to be really significant things uh, things that that uh, maybe are are worthy of a certain amount of praise uh, because they've been guilt tripped they've been manipulated Uh, they've been coerced uh, by uh, their leadership uh, to do uh, this or that to, to give money or to offer service uh, to the church. And I think that's such a, a tragedy. And such a, a travesty. Of what it means to, to lead uh, God's people. And so how, how do I teach. And emphasize. The great reality of but God. The, the great reality of we are saved. By God's grace. That the gospel is a gift that only God gives. But but how do I empower and even compel and and certainly lead people to work out that salvation. to, To do that which we've been redeemed for. Namely, good works. Obedience. Sacrificial living. How, how do we do that and as I've thought about it and I've thought about it and've I've thought about it for the the entirety of uh, the time that I've been a pastor 20 plus years how how do you unite a church and how do you how do you lead to do bold and great things not not things that we could just do I mean we've got quite a number of people if I hooped and hollered and snorted enough uh, you'd write a check to Send a kid to camp, or to send some folks to Romania or Africa, or you know, to do something to the building. But but how do you empower a people to Christ likeness, to to selfless and sacrificial living? And I think the answer is always to look at the Savior. It's always to look at the Savior. It's always to to seek. Uh, to to follow in his steps, to, to imitate his character and his example. And so that's why the Apostle Paul can say to us in Ephesians 4, the text we looked at last week, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And then he goes on to say in chapter 5, Therefore... Therefore, in view of but God, therefore, in view of the gospel, the gift of salvation, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And then Paul would write for us, What many times is thought of as a hymn of the ancient church. a, A confession of the identity and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in Philippians 2. So, and let me just say a word as we're reading these so ifs. A lot of translators will argue that grammatically this is intended really to communicate sin since there is, since there is encouragement in Christ. It's not a, it, it, it is not the type of condition. Well, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. He's saying with certainty there is encouragement in Christ. Any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in a full accord in one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you not only look look to not only his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Pray with me. Father, once again, we thank you for your truth, how we are dependent upon it. We pray that your spirit, would illuminate our minds, give us understanding, and apply these things to our lives, Lord, where we need to be convicted. I pray that you would convict us where we need strength. I pray that you would empower us to serve you. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We've argued many times that the truth of conversion, the power of the gospel, by the very nature of what that is, must work its way out. As Paul will say in this text, that God works in us to will and to work according to His good pleasure. That, that God, by virtue of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, works in us to cause us to, to pursue and live in accordance with the character of Of our Savior. Jesus Christ. And so. As we think about those things. As we think about again. Kind of the the precise matter at hand. The issue of our stewardship. Of that which God has entrusted. To us. How do I empower. This church. You the members of this church. To live lives. That are selfless. And sacrificial. Lives that display the very character of our Savior who selflessly gave Himself for us. And so we look unto our Savior. Again, yes indeed He is our example, but there's something far more transformative, far far more um, difficult to even explain, that as we look at our Savior the work of God's Holy Spirit miraculously and secretly works in our lives to root out that which is displeasing to God and to pl- replace it with desires and goals and activities that serve His purpose. So as, as we think about this in, entire business, I find it At least in the long range of things. To be a very little good. To kind of zero in and, and, okay, we're going to talk about you giving your money, you need to give more and all that. That's, okay, you do. I said it. You do. But what I'm far more interested in and what will stand the test of eternity, that as you think about stewardship, God has made you a steward of this body and of every breath that he gives to you on the face of this earth. We will each give an account for how we've utilized every moment of this precious life that he gives to us. Have we honored him? Have we served him? Have we glorified him? And so what I'm interested in is a very radical and a total transformation of life so that we live lives that are so very effective, so very attractive, and so very conducive to the advance of the gospel. And so let's look at, first of all, Paul exhorts us, again, on the basis of the encouragement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we are to cultivate The having the the same mind. We're to, to think alike. How do you get 100 or 150, or even if we look at our church role, I mean, we can't even get 400 people to think at the same time it's important to assemble ourselves together for the sake of worshiping our God. Not sure how effective we can be for anything beyond that if what may be the majority of our membership thinks it's a better stewardship of their life and time to do something else rather than gather for worship. Now again, I understand certain providential things like like, profound health issues. But one of the things in, in being a steward is you ought to have in your iPhone or your day planner or carved in your brains that anything that comes up Sunday morning at 9.30, you've got a previous engagement. And that's to gather with God's people for the sake of worship. You're stewards of that two hours and a half. Maybe plus a little some, some Sundays. But you're a steward of that. And, and so, again, we cultivate this sameness of mind by, by looking at the lord jesus christ and paul has already expressed back in chapter 1 beginning in verse 27 this idea of a, a life worthy of the gospel and standing firm in one spirit and i love the i don't know which translation does it but the way that that's translated is contending as one man anybody got that translation anybody maybe it's an niv or something contending as one man. And here's what the picture is. How many of you have seen the movie Gladiator? Don't raise your hand. I'll not criticize you for going to movies. No. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. In the movie Gladiator, in the opening sequence, they show the Roman army using the strategy of the phalanx, which is a military strategy by which soldiers stood shoulder to shoulder and placed their shields Against one another, and they became an irresistible force as they went forward to conquer the known world. And that's the image Paul wants us to have. We are shoulder to shoulder and shield to shield for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do what we do together, we think alike. Now, again, not uniformity as we often remark, unity. Unity in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The goal is that all men may give a hearing to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're to, to cultivate, cultivate a, a sense of corporate unity, of, of togetherness. There's, I've seen a lot of things over the last little bit about singing. And I've gone through phases of my life where it's like, eh, we got to sing. But I've repented of that sin, and I say that very seriously. What expresses our unity as a church, or what is one way? When we gather in this room, and we together look on a screen, or into a hymn book, or whatever it is we're singing from, and the words that are presented to us say something that is true of God, that he deserves to hear from his people. And we sing it in each other's ears, and we sing it together, and it goes up to Almighty God. And that displays we're confessing, not individually, we're confessing together. We are confessing together the greatness of our Savior. That's why no matter if you sound like a donkey's braying, now, see, I didn't use the King James word, okay? So cut me some slack this morning. Who was it that was telling? Uh, somebody was telling this week about reading Bible stories uh, to their children, from, and they were using the King James language, and they had to explain that that's okay in that context for that word. It describes a particular animal. And I thought, well, that's very interesting. But we sing together. It is a confession of our unity. And it's the cultivation of our unity. It's the cultivation of our unity. It's a means to our unity. When we are together and we sing together. It's vital to the life of the church if we're to contend as one man. I need to hear you singing. In my ear. And I don't care if you. Like I say. If you sound like a braying donkey. It's okay. It's really okay. So. Having the same mind. Is something that we. That we cultivate. We cultivate. This mind of Christ. As Paul, as Paul refers to it. In 1 Corinthians 2. That, that we would. Think alike. Biblically. Doctrinally. And as we grow in our understanding our unity in the the truth of scripture our whole philosophy of how we do church will be unified you know sometimes I, I, I cringe a little bit because people come well why don't we and sometimes we don't because it's not a biblical thing to do I know you used to It's simply not a biblical thing to do. That's why. It kind of just, you know, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or anything like that. But, again, we want, but it is a biblical thing that we would sing together. And part of its goal is that we would cultivate among ourselves this unity of mind and purpose, confessing the greatness of Jesus Christ our Lord. Second thing, there in verses 3 and 4, the cultivation of a, a life of sacrifice. Notice Paul says that we're to do nothing from selfish ambition. I'm going to tell you something about me that you didn't know, and then I'm going to tell you about something about you that you didn't know about yourselves. I am selfish, and you are too. Yeah, you you may now, there are the honest people out there, and there are the liars out there, okay? There, there's two groups here. I'm selfish. I like what's good for me, and you like what's good for you. And one of our, one of the sins that's really being nurtured in the culture, is that we deserve to be selfish. Ad, I think they've ran this ad before, but it's, it's a Buick ad, where. An individual is shown giving themselves the Christmas gift of a new Buick because they deserve it. Okay? The whole idea in the culture. I mean, you, you deserve it all. Be good to yourself. And Scripture says something different, that that, that we're not to, to act out of selfish ambitions. And, in fact, we're to look at the one another and and to think of what they need that their desires are to be more significant than our own. Look each of you not to your own interest. See, we naturally look to our own interest. I don't have to look, I don't have to exhort you. Man, you need you need to take care of yourself. You need to take care of your own business. You do that. But how we need to Look at the interest of others. What promotes the well-being of our brothers and sisters in Christ? That's the the mind that was in Christ Jesus. And so we need to embrace self-denial. Read through the four Gospels and just count how many times Jesus says or is alluded to his basic statement of Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Of course, that only applied 2,000 years ago, right? Right? No. If you would see heaven, if you would see the forgiveness of sin, it will be the pathway of denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus Christ. And so that, that's hard. And we, we're we never perfected in this idea of sacrifice, sacrifice, but we are to embrace it. One of the things again that we need to learn culturally, and again, the church is taking its cues from the culture, and so the culture is taking its cues from the church. Paul speaks of learning what contentment. Be content. Be content with what you have. And again, the American way is what newer. Bigger, better. There's always the newer, the bigger, the better, more. Right? That's the American way. And so, again, if we will cultivate this idea of self-denial, and, and again, is contentment a bad word? I don't think it is. So learning that. Is for our present joy. Is it not? To be always just, I got to get this, I got to have that, I got to, you, know, you know, whatever the deal is. So as we see the Lord Jesus Christ, his denial of his own rights as the eternal Son of God, that, that he would come to this earth for the sake of salvation of his own enemies looking out to our entrance, not his own. And so, again, now, and I want to be, uh, you know, a bit careful in talking about this this life of sacrifice. Paul warns us in Colossians chapter 2 about kind of a false asceticism. Those of you that have been through 1517 know that a part of my spill kind of here at the end is, the negative side of Luther's journey to the clarity of the gospel was his frustration with doing everything he could possibly think of to rigorously embrace this ascetic lifestyle, abusing his own body, denying himself comfort, and on and on and on, so that he could be right with God. And he, he, he literally almost drove himself nuts. until he came to understand the gospel is a gift. It's not something you earn. It's something God gives. But it is a gift that comes with a, a power that does change us from the people to that we were into the people God would have us to be. And so, as Jesus did there in verse 5, embracing the role of a servant, the essential example of Jesus is his taking on humanity the incarnation he is eternally glorious enjoying the prerogatives of Almighty God he was never created he never had a beginning he will never have an end but there was a time in which he was not a man and he joined to his divinity in a way that theologians have tried for 2,000 years to explain but he placed within his person divinity and humanity in the one person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he would be the God-man that could come for the purpose of saving human beings. He had to be both. And so a lot of discussion. You may see in a, a commentary something called, Conosis uh, theory or Kenotic theology—it's kind of from a Greek word—that he emptied himself; he laid aside. I will not independently exercise my prerogatives as God. I'm going to submit myself to the will of the Father. I'm going to take on humanity. I could stay in heaven and enjoy all of the privileges of God, but I have taken on the form of a servant, a lowly human being, not even of the royal family in, in the sense of enjoying being a king. He was of a royal family, don't get me wrong, but certainly not a reigning family. And he came and he suffered In this life. Leaving us. An example. Of sacrifice. Of suffering. He could have stayed. He could have kept what was his. And salvation would have never. Been accomplished. And so again. We can keep what is. Quote unquote. Ours. Or we can follow the emptying example of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even Jesus himself, Paul notes, travels this path from his humility of the incarnation to his exaltation as the Son of Man, as the rightful heir to all that is, by virtue of the fact he is the creator and he is the redeemer. And Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that if we what? If we suffer with him, We shall what? Therefore reign with him. Self-denial. Sacrifice is a type of self-imposed suffering. As I said, those that went to Romania, they could have taken the time and the money and spent it on the beach. And there's nothing wrong with that. I like to do it myself. But they sacrificed... That time and energy and money. And many of you do do that on a regular basis and for other things. I'm not saying you've got to go to Romania. I'm just saying that that's that's what's being talked about here. And the idea that God works in it works in us to do his will, which causes us to desire greater things than the vanities of material excess causes us to desire other things causing us to invest for eternity as we look at Jesus who gave up in a sense everything to identify with us for our salvation so how do you motivate people to live as faithful stewards you look at the example of Christ on his cross there's there's no words that i can use that's going to necessarily bend your will change your attitude but you look at the great sacrifice of our savior and he has called he has called he is compelling us to be again faithful stewards of everything that he has entrusted to us well let's look at this fourth area and it's kind of my imposition on this particular text i'm gonna call it practicing the art of simplicity could have used a number of of words here if we're going to be faithful stewards it's, it's going to take practice 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 Okay? You've got to work at it. You, 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 you've got to use the means by which God has given us to, to grow in his grace. And, you know, you've got you to work through uh, some things. And you've got to begin by evaluating priorities as an individual, as a family, a business, as a church. Tom Rainer wrote a book a few years ago called Simple Church. You know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the church. And all it is is stuff. I mean, you know. And been, we we spend all kinds of energy and all kinds of resources to do this or that. has absolutely nothing to do with the cause of Christ. And again, one of my goals is just. We do what honors God and is good for accomplishing His purpose, and let everything else go. Okay. No matter how deeply ingrained it is in tradition and fun, and, so, and again, fun has a purpose. Don't 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 take me there and leave. Rotem just so okay, came out, having no fun. Sure, there he goes again. No, that's not. We need to laugh together too. Very important for the cause of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so evaluating your stewardship, first of all, of time. It took time to get you here today. It is time that you could be doing something else. It is time that those who aren't here thought there was something more important for them to do, whether it was stay in bed, go somewhere else, whatever the deal was. Time. How are you going you, listen, your clock is ticking. I know y'all wanted that good news this morning. You know, do you remember the old wind-up clock? My mother and daddy had a wind-up clock. That was their alarm clock. I remember every night, rah, 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 you know, mother would make the coffee, go ahead and wind the clock up, rah, 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 you know, I'd hear it in there. And, you know, if that, that thing would eventually, I don't, I don't know how long it would run, but eventually, it, you know, it, it just unwinds itself out our clock is ticking and it's winding down. And the days are precious. The moments are are precious. And so how are you going to spend your time? Solomon looked back and assessed his life, and that's kind of what the book of Ecclesiastes is all about. He looked at everything he'd accomplished. Money. Power. Popularity. His word was vanity. It was vanity. It's all meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. And in fact, if I do accumulate anything, I'm going to leave it to an idiot. Yeah, I don't want to project anything on y'all, but uh, yeah. So how are you going to spend your energy? I am finding myself more and more aware of the limited amount of energy that I have. and and, and, I, and I see it and sometimes I see it with people far younger than me because you're you're burning the candle bo- at both ends to make sure that your children have a, a wildly entertaining life more entertainment this week than last week and everything that their heart could ever imagine and then it gets time for church and I'm just give out we, we were out till midnight four nights this week at you know music and ball and band and dance and you name it There's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things but i found my, i've only got so much energy and you do too cuz some of you probably have more than i do but how are you going to invest and use and be a steward of the energy and then the resources even emotional kind of goes back to that energy thing Pastoring a church, as blessed as I am to pastor you, and I thank you, and I thank God for you every week. You're a blessing. But it's emotionally draining. I will tell you that. If, if your concerns are not my concerns, I'm not a pastor, and you need to fire me. If I do not cry with you, I'm not a pastor. And anybody that ever steps in a pulpit, and this is what bothers me about Megachurches churches sometimes if they're not crying with their people they're not a pastor i don't know what they are they may be a ceo they may be a spokesperson they may be be, be eloquent and all of those things but if you're not weeping with your people you're not a pastor and that takes its toll and so this the spiritual resources am i going to devote myself to growing in the lord and that, takes, that takes time and energy to do it. You cannot grow without setting aside a certain amount of time. And if you don't grow, you'll become stagnant. You'll become dormant. You know, you know what happens? I, I recently was up getting ready for deer season, clearing some trails, and I ran across an old rotten tree. Had to been down for a couple, three years. I had to cut it out of the trail. got to crank my chainsaw up. I was happy that day. Whee! I love just goosing that thing. makes me feel like I'm riding my motorcycle again. And that old rotten tree, I began to cut. I'd never seen this happen, but this just reddish-brown, oozy stuff just started pouring out of it. And the whole inside of that thing was hollow, and this putrid water had gathered in there, and it was just going everywhere when I cut into that. That tree. A very strange phenomenon. But it reminded me of dormant tr- Christians. They're just laying in the way of where the people of God need to be going. And all they've got in them is just old rotten, putrid stuff. And every time you poke them, that's what comes out. That was terrible, wasn't it? I could have talked about like an infected finger, but I, I chose not to. I chose not to go there. But again, I've said this many times. You're a steward. I am a steward, not of this t-shirt, as much as I'm thankful to the Burdettes for getting it for me. I really like this. You might guess that. I'm a steward of the t-shirt, too. I'm a steward of this body. It's God's body. It's not mine. And again, he's wound up the alarm clock of my body. And as you can well see, it's winding down. It's winding down. The signs are patently obvious. But I'm going to squeeze every mile, metaphorically and literally, that I can out of this body. Now, I'm not perfect in my stewardship of the body, but I'm working on it. And... If you let yourself go physically, emotionally, and spiritually, you will be so drained and physically that you will not be able to do the things that God would have you to do. You know what happens when I get tired? The fact is I don't care what happens. (laughs) Telling Ellen last night, I was sitting in the recliner. I I had built a fire. I, I am a wise man from afar. Think about that one for just a minute. And oh, that recliner was just, I oh, was just caressing and, and just holding me. And I'm sitting there, I said, I know I need to get up and go to bed. I know I need to get up and go to bed. But I just fell asleep there in the recliner. And, because and, I didn't care, I was tired. If you don't take care of yourself physically, nutrition, Exercise and rest. You will not serve God faithfully. It won't happen. It won't happen. God has made you a steward of that. This is a stewardship sermon. God's made you a steward of that. You gotta make, you know, and here's the thing. How many of you ever have a quiet moment? You got that stinking cell phone, and if you're not playing a silly game on it, you're talking, or somebody's texting, or you're looking on Facebook, or walk into a restaurant, you can see six people at the table, and at least five of them be looking at their phone, and that takes energy. We're not—I I can remember as a kid, and I, I grew up a little bit kind of out of town. not really wasn't the country, but, but not right in the town. There were, n- there were no children my age around where I grew up. And my parents, were, again, their job was not to see that I was entertained. I got off the school bus. I went in and did my schoolwork. But I found, as I got older, I needed that space. I needed that space. I didn't need somebody in my ears and in my head all of the time. And I find I, I didn't know this for a long time, but I still need it. I still need it. And we're, we're, if, if the television, the radio, the phone, I mean, constant. And we're fatigued in a way we don't know. And you need to think about that. It's one of the reasons, again, why can't you come to church on Wednesday night? Oh, wait a minute. Ooh, That hurt. Why can't you come and study the Word of God and fellowship with God's people? And then the obvious things are your financial resources. The financial doesn't matter until you get the other stuff in order. I've told you many times, God does not need your money. God will accomplish it. Christ will build his church, whether you give a nickel or not. But if you want North Clay to be a part of it, we need your money. We need you to give. We need you to give generously and sacrificially. If North Clay is going to have any role, and you're a member of North Clay Baptist Church, and you want to share in the greatness of the glory of God being manifest in Clay, Alabama, and Romania, and Africa, and all of these other places we seek to influence, it's going to involve your giving and other things. your serving. You're serving. Yeah. Clearing the clutter out of your life. Yeah. Just the complications. Now, I'm not ready to have two pairs of pants and three shirts. I've got four shirts and three pairs of pants. Amen. But who is the owner of this stuff? Who owns it? Are you killing yourself keeping what you think you own up? Well again it goes back, you've only got so much time, so much so many resources. Yeah. You need to think about it. Laying up treasures in heaven, living for eternity. None of these things will happen without your planning. Notice the last thing on there. Failure to plan, ellipsis. Failure to plan is a plan to fail. How are you going to organize your life for for faithful living? For growing in grace? Are you going to make a commitment? You know, one of the things we used to do in our stewardship campaigns is ask people to pledge the budget every year. Some people didn't like it. Some people did. I kind of did. Perfectly honest. Because you know what? Most of the things you will not do if you do not make a commitment to do it. Nobody ever lost weight except they made a commitment. Nobody ever... Committed to an exercise regimen. They didn't make a commitment. Nobody ever performed with excellence in a job unless they first made a commitment. Commitments are important. Uh, I've heard many people who were faithful in giving say the first check we write every month. Our offering check. Our offering check. I'm not saying it's got to be that way, but I'm saying, you know, that's a commitment. And we'll live with whatever God gives us with the rest. We will sacrifice. I've said this many, many times. You know, if you've got seven cell phones and 14 televisions and a $250 a month cable bill and you're not giving sacrificially to the church, you're sinning. And you can extrapolate that. I'm not saying it's wrong to have those things. You may have those things and be the most generous giver we got. That's cool. Go for it. Go for it. But, you know, I promise you, you can put up a $15 antenna and you can get more trash on your TV than you can repent of for free. You get more trash than you can repent of for free. and You don't even have to pay for it. Okay? Again. Saved. Unto good works. God works in us to will and to work. To be a steward. He's already counted our breaths, our heartbeats, how many volts of electricity is going to pass through our brain to make all that work. He's got an exact number. He hasn't told us what those are. But he says, I've I've entrusted This unnamed Uncounted resource to you It's yours It's my gift If you get up tomorrow morning It's a gift of God It's yours to invest It's yours to use For the sake of eternity That will bring you joy right now And you will enjoy For all of eternity That's the best deal you can get You can spend it now And spend it later See there? That's kind of what we do, isn't it, in this culture? So, how now then shall you live in view of God's mercy? Pray with me, if you will. Father, thank you for your word, for your truth. Again, for the power of your spirit that is among us and within us. And Lord, help us not only to confess together your greatness, your excellence, your beauty, your value, to help us to live out together of these tremendous uh, realities, Lord. For the sake of your own glory, for the sake of the good of your church, for the sake of the good of the world, who desperately needs to hear from the people of God, the message of God, the message of their salvation. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.